Coming up on The Sports Life, the Chicago Cubs are looking like they're going to secure a playoff spot after sweeping the San Francisco Giants. We also got a man of steel, and I'm going to take a deep dive on the Shohei Otani. We're talking sports. It's The Sports Life. Let's go. All right, jumping into game one right out of the gate. The Cubbies sweep the Giants. Three up, three down. We're feeling good. And this was really an exciting series because it was a little bit of everything. It was some of that fantastic starting pitching that we've seen all year. And it was also this offense that seems to come to life at times. And it just shows you the type of potential that we have. So in game one, it's our man of steel. It's Justin Steele. This guy is now cementing himself as the leader in the Cy Young race. He went eight innings, 12 Ks, two hits. He's 16-3 and on the season with a 2.55 ERA. I think he's leading the league in wins, and he's second in ERA. Again, he's really putting together this Cy Young campaign, and we are so excited about having that type of player within our organization here with the Chicago Cubs. Another guy I want to talk about, Suzuki. He's getting it done. He's hitting the long ball, extra base hit after extra base hit. Super exciting player. Um, I'm going to let Caden kind of go through some game notes with us as far as game one, game two, game three. I'll fill in a little bit as we go. I'm going to make a couple quick notes, and then I'm going to turn game one over to Caden to get some feedback from him. Uh, But a couple quick notes here. We have the second best record in the major league since the All-Star break. And another note that was on the broadcast was that the Cubs have 230-plus hits from their 8-9 slot, and that's third in the NL. So those were just a couple of of pieces of info that I pulled from the broadcast that I just thought were really important, showing that this team is hitting up and down the lineup and also just indicates how hot the Cubbies have been in the second half of the season here. So, Caden... Thoughts on game one, obviously uh, Steele stood out big time, but any other thoughts on that game? Um, Yeah, yeah pretty good game. Uh, uh, You know, just I felt like we pieced everything together at the right time. You know, really good pitching. Um, Like I said, the offense was not really the best. You know, when you look at our um, one through three hitters with Talkman, Horner, and Hap, um, we were over, over. Uh, we were over ten, and then you saw. I mean, say Suzuki really saved us with. He was three for four with two RBIs. You know, he kind of got us started with a homer in the second inning, and that was enough for Justin Steele to really dominate. I mean, the I mean, the Giants. They're kind of an up and down team, especially hitting. But this is a team that you know if they get on and they get confidence. Um. They will really jump on you, but Justin Steele just gave the Giants absolutely no chance to give them a, a, a rhythm. You know, just really good piece, piece, of, pieces of hitting by the Cubs. I feel like even though we weren't getting on base and scoring runs, you know, the third inning from the third inning to the sixth inning, I feel like we were still putting up good at-bats. And, of course, Justin Steele did his thing, you know. We go to the bottom of the second, say it's a hit homer. We didn't score until the bottom of the seventh again. And guess who it was? Seiya Suzuki. He hit a double. And, you know, Seiya Suzuki, I mean, he's just doing everything well. He's being very aggressive. I saw this thing where his swing rate, rate, his swing rate went up, like, 20% over, like, the first half to the second half or something. 
And then good to see Jan Gomes make it 3 nothing, And good to see Kowalski get the inning. I mean, just everything came together at the right time. So it was a good win. Thank you. I think that, that game two was really the most fun game uh, of this series. I mean, there was just those plays that, that are indicative that this Cub team may be the real deal, right? There were those lead changes. There were those moments where you thought the other team was getting big hits and big moments, and you're going, oh, no, here we go. We're going to lose the second game of the series, and then we're going to be, you know, then we're going to have a rubber match against the Giants. But there were these big plays. I go right to this moment in the third where Nico beats out a ground ball. I'm going to start calling him Nico Hustle because if you watch the footage on this guy, when he takes a swing and he's got a ground ball in the infield, this guy takes off like something you've never seen. I mean, it is a hustle play. That's what starts the third inning, and the Cubbies just went off in the third. And that was, you know, it's those types of moments where you go, okay, this team can do it many different ways, and that's what we want to see. So, again, a hustle play gets us started. They had a huge seventh inning in game two. Morrell hit a home run. Suzuki hit a home run in the seventh. And I, I go to what Uncle Clint was saying. Morrell needs to be in this lineup. I mean, guys like Wisdom, we don't need to see those guys when you got Morrell there and he's getting big hits in big spots. Again, it may not show an average, but if you're watching throughout the season, you just get that feeling with Morrell that he's the guy we need to see more of in this lineup if we want to consistently put up these big offensive numbers. Yeah, and one thing about Nico Horner, I actually just saw that he won the Cubs Heart and Hustle Award. So. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you could just—I mean, you just see it. That dude puts it all out there, offensively, defensively, everything, and, and that's just what you want to see out of a ball player. If I'm talking to you, Kate, and I'm saying, "Hey, when it comes to playing ball, who's who's a player that you can look at that you might want to model your game after?" And when you see what Horner's doing out there, uh, that's what the youth players need to be looking at. Another note I had from Game Two is that Kyle Hendricks, at this stage in his career, uh, is an average pitcher. And that's okay. You know, we need a guy that can get out there, eat up some innings for us. He's 5-7 and seven on the season. He's got a 3.59 ERA. Uh, his strikeouts are way down. We're just not going to see the dominant Hendricks that we saw back in the World Series days. It is great to still have a, a Cub um, from that World Series team, a guy that's still hanging on with us. But, again, at this stage in Hendricks' career, he's an average pitcher. The last thing I'll talk about offensively on this day, obviously we've been saying a lot about Suzuki, but he had a four-hit day. Gomes had a three-hit day. Gomes, having that veteran leadership from the catcher position and then having Gomes also doing it offensively for us, um, although he's not super consistent at the plate, man, he really has some good days and some good at-bats. I think he's so important. It's like when you're piecing together that team, that's going to give you everything that you need to make a postseason run. You talk about starting pitching. You talk about a strong bullpen. You talk about an offense that can get it done many different ways. Okay, these are all the types of things that you need. They all need to be happening in baseball to put a team together that can make a run. The Cubs seem to have these things. So th these are the things that I find exciting about this Cub team. Caden, any other thoughts on what we saw in Game 2 before we jump to the Game 3 win? I think out of all these three uh, games, this was definitely our best one. I mean, there were so many lead changes. and You're talking about the Giants offense really winning them games. I know the Giants bullpen has been their best, 
But we've done a really good job. I mean, the Giants are trying to sneak away a win in a bullpen game. I mean, they had, uh, they had a, I mean, they had one, two, three, four, five, six. I, I mean, but I believe five, uh, different pitchers in, in uh, yeah, I think six actually. Yeah, six. They they put in six different pitchers, and none of them. I mean, none of them. Uh, fell into a rhythm. I mean, I believe Walker, the starting pitcher, is the only person, and uh, Taylor Rogers are the only people in the Giants uh, pitchers who pitched that game who did not uh, allow a run. But, you know, like Uncle Clint said, I believe he said this in a couple of Sundays ago, Hendricks needs to get out of that first inning because he gives up more. I mean, he gives up a lot of first inning runs. And after the first inning, he does a good job sailing in and really um, bearing down and adjusting. You saw Lamonte Wade Jr. on the first pitch of the game. Throws on the right field for a home run. And Lamonte Wade Jr. has not had a lot of home runs. But after that, it just feels like Hendricks does a good job adjusting, keeping his head up, and not staying, and not, and not staying down just because he gave up a home run. This was definitely not his best outing. But I just feel like a guy like Hendricks going into the playoffs, even a guy like Gomes. I mean, we got a lot of World Series experiments. I mean, uh, experience with Bellinger. He won a World Series. Swanson, Gomes. He was in a World Series. You know, Suzuki. He was in the playoffs in Japan. I mean, we got a lot of guys who are in playoff um, experience. But you know, just a really good offensive game. You, you're talking about Nico Horner. He had a really big. I mean, just. Consistent big hits. Suzuki continues to lead the charge, and then everyone else pieced in good at bats and big hits throughout the game. I think you make great points about having a team with with playoff experience. I think it makes a ton of difference. Uh, it's guys that have been there before. That moment's not going to affect them. So I think that's that's a great point. Uh, moving on to game three. <laughs> Look, the Cubs go bring this guy Wicks up, and he's been nothing but a stud. I mean, he's he's three and zero. He's got a two point one six ERA. He got it done again in this game, and that's just so exciting for the Cubs. I mean, to finish off a three game sweep of the Giants, which is a team that's been in the mix with them all year. Um, the Cubs are now a season high twelve games over five hundred. And the last thing I'll say about this to close out this series is that Suzuki, Suzuki series, eight for thirteen. With nine RBIs. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. This guy is just absolutely rolling offensively. If he can keep this going with the other guys in the mix, with your Horners and your Bellingers and all this, I mean, this this team can start. You can start seeing these eight, nine, ten run games consistently. That's just been so special um, to see this uh, Suzuki really working out for us. So, Kate, in Game Three, those are a couple of my notes on it. Um, any of your closing thoughts for this Cubs series and, and the Game Three win? Well, first we talked about Jordan Wicks. I mean, he's he, I mean, it's three starts. He's not playing no uh, lower level teams. I mean, I mean the Pirates. They're kind of a lower level team, but they got they have a very bright future with a lot of good players. They can easily have, a, uh, especially against a rookie. But Wicks did a really good job against the Pirates. And then the Reds, I mean, they're right in they're right in the mix of being the making the playoffs. And then the Giants, I mean, you're facing three really good offenses, I believe. And um, he's done a really good job knocking into his head and just playing um, baseball. You know, there's just a lot of 
expectations on him, especially. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure if any a lot of high expectations, but for him, there's expectations. Pitching, I mean, two really good games and not going to Wrigley, and um, probably a lot of nerves. And I feel like he did a good job settling down. And um, you know, I feel like it was just a really good game. Um, you know, I feel like our offense came together at the right time. You're talking about Seiya Suzuki. I mean, he just led the charge. And people are like, oh, maybe sit down Seiya Suzuki for a while. He's not hitting. No, you cannot give up on this guy. This guy has too much talent. And I was thinking in the starting rotation to take off this game a little bit. The question is, are you going to go with a four rotation of playoffs or the five? Because if you, if, especially if you get Marcus Stroman back, which I do not know if you're going to get Stroman back. You have Steele, Stroman, and then you got a guy like Javier Assad. He's pitching as good as anybody else, especially in this Cubs rotation. And then you got a guy like Hendricks and Wicks. I'm not sure if Wicks is going to go move to the bullpen or what. But I'm just saying, I mean, they're gonna, it's going to be tough for David Ross because you got a guy like Tyone. He's not pitching extremely well. It's going to be interesting to see. But I, go back to this game. I really feel like it was a good game, you know. Uh, got a lot of big hits when we needed them. Jumped out to a lead, like I said. Say Suzuki comes through again. I mean, he's not just getting hits. He's getting hits in the big times. I mean, it was, I believe it was two outs in the uh, first. It was about to turn into it as a uh, bad inning. You know, we had we had the runners on base, and then you know looked like two outs. Oh, we're gonna this inning's about to end, but he delivers once again. And then, um, but one thing I really saw that I really liked was um, Little, the guy that came in. I mean, he, he's probably had a really long day and get called up earlier this morning. Comes down the regular and now closes down this game. So I feel like the offense came together once again. Really good to see Miguel Amaya hit a homer. He's been really struggling. But like I said, another quality game with quality pitching, quality offense. And we've been really struggling with sweeps. We have not. We've been getting a lot of series win, but not a lot of sweeps. And really good to really good to um, get a sweep off a really quality Giants team. I, I agree with everything you said, and I think that th this pitching staff. I mean, that the five that you just went through. If the staff that you're putting out in the postseason and Kyle Hendricks is essentially your five, you're doing pretty good. I mean, you got yourself a really quality starting staff. We already know the Cubs got a deep bullpen. Leiter, Fulmer, Merriweather, Alzale. I mean, it just it goes on and on. Now they bring this little guy up, who's anything but little, by the way. That guy's a monster. Um, but like I say, they, they got a farm system in place. that they're, they're, You're seeing pieces of it in these games in big spots. I'm really liking what I'm seeing here, and I, and I not only like the present, because I, I, I do think that the Cubs uh, got a big hill to climb with some of these other teams. Um, again, I always mention the Braves in the NL, the Dodgers. These are, these are tough tasks, but the Cubs have something built here for the future. Um, this is this reminds me of that 15 team, you know what I mean? Where it's like you knew they were making their run a little bit early, but you knew there was something special happening. And I think that this is going to really accelerate ownership to say, hey, this team's ready now. They're going to make the moves necessary. They're going to bring Belly back. They're going to put a team together that can win and can win now. And from what we're seeing right now out of this team that they almost gave up on, right, Caden? They almost gave up on yeah. this team midseason. And these guys said, no way, no way. We're coming on. We're coming strong. And here's the spot we're in right now. We're, we're in a secure wild card spot at the number two. We're still within striking range of the Brewers. There's still a lot of season left, and the Cubbies are playing some good baseball. So this has been super fun to see, super exciting to watch. 
We're pumped up for the rest of the season. We're fired up for this next series, and we can't wait to report to you guys back after that one. So those are my closing comments on the Cubs' sweep of the Giants. Uh, moving on to our next topic, it came up on our last pod where I, you know I just threw it out and I said, "Man, how are we're talking about guys getting to 500 home runs?" And then we're saying. Well, why did Shohei not show up here till he was 23 when you got guys like Soto starting at 18 and things like that? So I dug into it a little bit, and Caden, I got some. I pulled out some interesting information. I would encourage people to to look at the Nippon. Uh, I don't know if it's Nippon, Nippon, the, the Pro Baseball League in Japan, and what they have as a posting system. And if you look up their posting system, it talks about basically how players can transfer into. The major leagues, and you know, simply put, if you have nine years of pro experience, that'll gain you international free agency. That's the easiest way to to make it over. If not, the teams essentially put you in the posting system. They would get a release fee. There's a lot of different stipulations in there that that you would have to read about. But essentially, if you enter Japanese professional baseball, you are in a spot where management kind of makes the decision if to post you and if the team is going to be able to essentially make money on posting you through uh, opening you up to the international market or Major League Baseball. So that led me down the path to kind of figure out how Shohei got here and learn a little bit about Shohei's past and his path to the major leagues. So doing this deep dive on Shohei, one of the things that I noticed right out of the gate was a lot of the spelling of his name was O-T-A-N-I from the early days. So if you're looking back at articles on him, um, you'll start to see his name spelled O-T-A-N-I. And at some point there was a transfer over where you started seeing the Otani spelling that we see today. Uh, one of the interesting notes that I saw was that this caught the attention from a pitching standpoint was that in 2012, when he was 18 years old, he got clocked at 99.5 miles per hour. People were obviously seeing that unique arm talent out of him at that, po you know, at that point in time. Um, but the real interesting thing that I got out of this, which was you know, Googling, looking at some articles and things that were written about Shohei, was that if he didn't start his career in the MPB, which is the, the, the top Japanese league, is that I don't know that we would see what we're seeing today. Uh, Shohei made a comment when he was 18 that he wanted to go straight to the major leagues. He had made that point clear. Uh, that's not a common thing. That would be breaking the mold a little bit in the Japanese baseball system. And what happened was a team called the uh, Hokkaido Nippon Ham Fighters. If I'm getting that right, I might be totally butchering that, but the Hakido uh, Nippon Ham Fighters, they decided to actually sign or dra essentially draft Shohei, even when Shohei said he did not want to be in the MPB. So they broke the mold there by saying, you know what, we're going to take a risk on him, even though he's saying he wants to go straight to the MLB, we're going to, we're going to, dr we're going to draft him and we're going to sign him here. So what that team did that was very unique was they essentially sold him away from entering the major league systems, going through the minors and doing that, and they agreed that they would post him early when they were ready and give him the opportunity yeah, to be signed by a major league team. I think that's probably better because it's such a bigger age. I mean, the minor leagues is good, but when you're at a you know place like Japan where you know you could really like there's probably scouts there that see him like. And he's, our, and he's a big part of his team. Like, in the minor leagues, 
like maybe he's not a big part of the team, but in Japan, a lot of people are paying attention on him, and I just feel like he's in a big like he's in under the lights. He's like of Japan. I just feel like he, uh, I feel like he would stand out a little more in Japan. Yeah, and and I think you're right. I think that's part of it. I mean, he really started turning heads, and what this what they did was they had like their manager there was the equivalent of like a Joe Madden, a guy that thinks outside the box. And he basically said, we're going to let you play both ways. We're going to let you pitch, and we're going to let you hit. And let's be honest, if he went at 18 into the minor league system, I think he would have been discouraged from doing no, this. Cause no, because no one's seen that. He would have been discouraged. And he would not have been given the patience and time to let both of these skills come to fruition. I mean, he was just a kid. And in reading an article about him, they said that he was, at one point, he was pitching for the farm team during the day and then hitting for the top team at night. And I thought that was so interesting because it just showed this team was being patient with him. They saw that his pitching was lagging his hitting a little bit, but yet they were still letting him graduate that process. So the handling of Shohei in the Japanese Baseball League allowed us to have the player that that we have today. And I think that American baseball is not creating players that can pitch and hit. They're pushing guys into specialization roles. They're pushing guys in in specific directions away from. I think if somebody was looking today like they can do both things, um, the American baseball system would eventually wear them down and take them away from that. So I think as I wanted to take this dive and say, hey, why wasn't this guy here earlier? I actually walked away from my research saying, uh, thank God he stayed there because I think that that the Japanese system allowed him, allowed him to be who he is today, and they allowed him the patience to perfect both of his crafts before he came over too early. So that was kind of this unique part of his story. And another thing that happened was, I mean, he was being criticized over there too. Their their hits, the Japanese hits leader, I think his name is Asao Harimoto. He was criticizing the fact, saying, hey, he's taking at-bats away from players. If he's going to be a pitcher, let him pitch. I mean, he was taking some criticism over there, too. And, you know, he fought through it. This guy, his work ethic as a young kid to be able to put in essentially double time in this sport, right? Studying scouting reports on opposing pitchers as a hitter and then studying hitters as a pitcher to be a true professional like that, the work ethic that he has. I mean, I just can't say enough about Shohei. And it made me even look at what he's done so far in the major leagues. And on the last pod, we were talking about, hey, can this guy get Can this guy get to, or who can get to 500 home runs? And then Caden said at one point, what about Shohei? And I said, oh, no, you know, he started too late. Well, I looked at it. He's 28. He's got 171 homers. If he's getting to the plate 600 to 700 times a year, He's getting walked a lot now. Keep that in mind. But if he's getting 550 at-bats, he's consistently right now delivering 40 home runs. I'm curious to see where he's at in six or seven years, considering he's really uh, eased into that DH role. He's very comfortable in it. Even when he's got an issue with his arm or something's not clicking right on the pitching side, he's still putting in that work offensively as a hitter. The guy's different. He's different. When he hits the baseball, it sounds different than any player I've ever seen. I mean, it's just special. And it tells me that I don't see why he can't 
role in that DH role for a very long time. He's built for it. He's got the perfect baseball body for it. Um, playing both ways, we don't know what kind of wear and tear that's going to have on him because we've just never seen it before. But all I can say is it's special. Enjoy it. Um, and the, and one other thing is that uh, I looked up the demographics in the MLB. 1.9% of the MLB Asian players. And the best player in the MLB is an Asian player. And I think that says something to patience. And this, it almost ties into the way that we are wearing our youth kid, you know, our, our kids down through the youth sports system right now. And could our system build a Shohei? Um, will we ever have another bow, another prime? You know, will we have these types of athletes with the way that the youth sports system is built today? I think the answer is no. I'll delve into that more on another pod at a future time. But again, the fact that a, a Japanese player from a Japanese league that doesn't really send that many people to the majors is the by far the best player in baseball is the coolest story. And enjoy. That's all I could tell you. Enjoy. Every time he's at the plate, every time he's on the mound, enjoy the show. This guy's unreal. If he uh, can get back to the mound, it does not look like he'll be on the mound anytime soon, though. He'll be back to the mound. And you know what? He's a guy that who knows what's going to happen. I mean, the with Angels are in no rush because they know they're going to trade him. Right, but what's going to happen? No, he's not going to come back this year pitching. We know that. But there's so much flexibility with his skill from that position. I mean, he, can, he might end up being a closer at some point down the line. He might do a John Smoltz. He might do, uh, you know, hey, I've, I'm going to win 100 games as a starter that's and then what, I'm going to save 100 games actually, as a Actually, that's leader. what happened with Elzelay. I mean, he came into his Cubs organization as a starter. He was dealing with a lot of injuries because of how many pitches he was throwing. Now he goes to a closer. And the one inning, maybe one inning, four or four outs have really, you know, fit him because he's throwing less pitches and he's in that big situation. He's still acting like a starter. You know, he's still he's – still, he, he knows that he can go all out on the 20 pitches he throws because he knows he doesn't have to go out there for the second, third, fourth, fifth inning. Right, right, yep. So I think that Shohei at some point in his career will become a closer. I don't know how that's going to work exactly. I've just always thought that that would happen, and I'm curious to see if, if that prediction comes to fruition. It also made me think, who else in Japan is coming? Because we, you know, we know about the development league in the Dominican Republic and the Cuban players and so forth. And like I said, we only got 1.9% Asian players in the league. But this Roki Sasaki, I looked oh, this guy up. I know that he was in the... He's throwing um, 102 right now. Yeah, he's throwing 102. He hit 101 miles per hour in high school. This kid's 6'4". He's over 200 pounds, 21 years old. Listen to this. In April of 22, now this is in the MPB. This is the top league in Japan. Quality players against one of the top teams in the MPB. In April of 22, he threw a perfect game. And in that perfect game, he had 19 strikeouts. <laughs> this guy's velocity is unreal. Um, his career record over there is 19-8 uh, with a 1.91 ERA. Uh, he's going to be 25 in the year 2027, and that's when we believe we're going to see this guy in the MLB. Look him up. Pretty cool stuff. It's just exciting to look up uh, this other culture of baseball 
and the way that they are developing guys a little bit differently. Again, they're not coming to the major leagues in droves, but they have a system in place. And a lot of the players that do come do have an immediate impact. Um, if you're looking around the league right now, like I say, although a small percentage, some of these guys are having a really big impact. And, and lucky for the uh, the hometown Chicago Cubs, we got one of them that's, yeah. having, that's having a big impact. And just one of the things about Shohei Otani, uh, the flashback, you said something like the uh, hitters that were really frustrated, actually receiving hate about Shohei Otani in Japan. I just saw this thing where this guy named Oso Harmato, it says Oso Harmato, after Shohei Otani hit 10 homers and 212 at-bats as a 19-year-old in 20, 2014, it says, unquote, Shohei Otani is being childish. His uh, selfish desire to hit is taking at-bats from real players, angering his teammates, and keeping him from becoming the player he could be. And those are the types of things I'm talking about. This is the type of adversity that he faced. He probably would have faced more here um, going through that minor league system. But we are just lucky that that talent came from that system that had that level of patience with him so that when he came here, he was already special. And he was. I mean, 2018, rookie of the year, doing it from, doing it from, uh, from both sides, pitching, hitting, it's the real deal, and it's and it's so exciting. So, that's my piece on the uh, the Japanese baseball culture and the Japanese baseball league. It was really cool to take a little dive on that and read some of these old articles and look up Shohei from when he was like 18 and some of the cool things that he was doing, how he was identified, how it was not an easy path for him. That was really a, a fun dive for me. And I just want to thank you guys so much for listening. Remember to, to like us and follow us on Spotify and Apple. We appreciate everybody listening. You guys have a great night.